Blog Talk Radio. Hi, welcome to the latest Outsports Podcast. This is Jim Bazinski with Sid Ziegler from sunny, cool Los Angeles. And Sid, uh, you excited about the Sweet 16? Your alma mater is playing Stanford. I know. I can't even. I didn't even have them winning the first game, but I, I didn't have them winning the first game because I knew if they did win the first game that I'd be excited, and then if they lost, well, then I'd be excited too because I got a game right in my in my stupid bracket. So, well, I yeah, had I them mean, winning the first game, but not the second. Well, I'm I'm excited. I had I had Connecticut in the Elite Eight, and and they're still alive. And I don't think many people had that. So, I think I got a couple. Well, I had Dayton. Teams. I had Dayton winning the first two. Really? Yeah. Which is a lie. <laughs> uh, I thought they'd beat Ohio State because of the grudge match, because Ohio State wouldn't play them. And then I thought, I don't know. I think they'll win their next games. I thought, what the hell? It was like you know, it wasn't much thought. <laughs> Right. Which is why on the standings, I'm tied with Anthony Nicodemo, who's a basketball coach for second place. Well, Anthony, it's funny. Anthony really knows basketball, and 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 he's like before the before the uh, the tournament, he's like he tells me, you know, I'm going to win this. You know, I know it better than anybody else. And there he is, right atop the standings. Well, tell him I'm tied with him. I'm going to kick his ass going down the stretch. So. <laughs> By the way, if anybody wants to call in, the call in number is 347-945-7834. We have to do a better job of plugging that throughout the show. Yes, we need more phone calls. <laughs> well, we actually don't need them. We could probably go three hours without any phone calls, but we'd love to hear from you. Well, the Sweet 16 is uh, tonight. It's Thursday and Friday, and then the final eight. Um but we're going to talk about football, as we often do, because uh, Sid had a chance to go to the NFL owners' meetings in Orlando. Of course, as someone pointed out, they never have them in Poughkeepsie. It's always Orlando or Maui or someplace <laughs> nice when you get a bunch of billionaires together. Um, well, it's in Arizona, too. I think Arizona is next year. And then Dana Point, I think, is a people. Yeah, well, Arizona is a nice part of Arizona. Yeah. But you were at the, uh, was it the Ritz-Carlton is where they were? I wasn't at the Ritz-Carlton. No, were they, meetings with, were they at the Ritz-Carlton? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, the Ritz-Carlton in Orlando, which is, it's funny, you walk in and it is a blast from 1982 with the floral prints everywhere and the gaudy chandelier and the, uh, you know, beautifully crafted chairs. It's really like, you know, it says, it says old money. Well, there is a lot of old money in the NFL. You talked to a lot of these old money men. Um, it was an owner's meeting, but it's also general managers and coaches, and they're there to discuss. They have meetings a couple times a year for various things. They went over some rules changes, nothing that major. Uh, but the reason Sid went, and which became probably the hottest topic of the three days, was the huge discussion with Michael Sam coming out, which I think kind of probably spurred a lot of this, was uh, the discussion of gay issues, gay players in the league, uh, and uh, our friend Wade Davis gave a presentation. So why don't you fill people in a little bit on the background of what you saw and observed and some takeaways? 
Well, it's it, it's interesting, you know, kind of give people a landscape of what these in, this annual meeting is. You know, going there, I, I was like, how am I going to get these guys to talk to me? How am I going to find them? They don't know who I am. As soon as I walk into the Ritz-Carlton on Sunday afternoon, as soon as I walk in, the first person I see is Woody Johnson, the owner of the Jets. They are just kind of chatting with some reporters. And then I see Judy Batista from the New York Times, and I said hello. NFL and Network. she introduces me. Right, I, I'm sorry, NFL Network. Oh, God, I hope she <laughs> <laughs> Yes, NFL Network, right? She used to be with the New York Times. Yeah, and then and, and she introduces me to Scott Pioli and Robert Kraft, and everybody's just so like casual, and it's just you know people walking around, and 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 you know once the meeting started on Monday morning, it became a little harder to get people because they were going in and out of meetings, and so you had to really try to grab them around lunchtime or after the meetings were over. And sometimes they just weren't like Mike Tomlin. Just they just was not interested in talking to anybody. But it was so. So it was kind of the, the atmosphere was interesting. There's all this access, and and at the same time, people from the hotel and the hotel next door just kind of walking through the meetings. It's it, they can't go to the back to the actual meeting part, but where the owners and coaches are, there were people. There was a, a conference at the the neighboring hotel which was an insurance, I think it was insurance. And Monday afternoon, you started noticing guys with beers kind of waltzing in from that conference with their eyes wide open, looking around like, we heard what's going on over here, oh, and we it. came to see who we could see. So it was it was just, it's so it's casual, and you really get the idea that this is, everybody there, people there are friends, and it's, 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 it's a real, like, community, which was interesting. And so, so, I mean, in regards to Wade stuff, that's kind of what he played off of. He's, he knew so that he, so family... So why you tell me why Wade specifically was there? He didn't just show up and talk. He was invited because... Well, because I, when Michael Sam came out, the NFL became crystal clear that this was an issue they could not avoid anymore. Plus, the other piece that a lot of people talked about is is how the 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 interplay of the Richie Incognito Jonathan Martin piece, that you you couldn't just say, ah, well, you know, a gay player is just going to have to deal with whatever he deals with. No, 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 no. That that Richie Incognito Jonathan Martin piece, where Richie Incognito harassed Jonathan Martin physically and verbally for, for a while, that was, well, I think people will look back as one of the most important things that's happened in the NFL in the last 10 years, that coming out. Because everyone, gay issues or not, we're talking about the environment of the locker room. That was the big story that people were, the respect in the locker room, respect on the field, so that so nobody ever gets to that point again where a player feels like he has to walk off the team. So that's why the NFL had him there, because, because they are crystal clear that they need to address the environment of the locker room. This idea that it's this sanctuary where whatever, anything goes is over and they know that that wade is you know executive director of the you can play project and former nfl player who's gay and very well spoken in front of a crowd he was the guy to come talk to them and uh then you you kind of then asked some of the owners some of the coaches about wade's presentation and what were they telling you well as soon as the presentation was over wade wade walked out and tracked me down he just said 
I nailed it. I was like, oh, you know, that, that, that's good. And the next person I saw, I was standing there getting some water, and Jeff Fisher kind of wanders over, and I said, hey, Jeff, you know Sid Ziegler from Outsports? Um, you know, I know your, your former player, Wade Davis, gave a presentation. I said, do you remember Wade? He said, yeah. He said, yeah, I remember him vaguely. I remember the face. You know, it, I just don't remember a lot. Because Wade was just there for a couple of training camps 10 years ago. I said, how was the presentation? He said, fantastic. He said, he, it, was, it was incredible. I was like, really? What about he? He just related to the entire audience. Um, you know, it was he just captured everybody from the first moment. And I said, you know, would you be willing to have your have him come talk to your team? He said, a hundred percent. I'm that's, I'm planning on it. And and then I talked to Les Snead, the general manager of the Rams, who's you know Jeff Fisher is the coach and Les Snead is the Rams, and he said same thing. And then I talked to. Um, uh, Ray Farmer, the GM of the Browns, and he said the same thing, and Jason Garrett said the same thing. And it was like, very quickly became clear that Wade connected on a level they didn't expect. I, think, I don't think they expected to connect with this gay player the way that they did. I think they probably expected some kind of activist presentation. Instead, they got a football player coming in saying, hey, gay people are, are we're, we're gay football players are football players. We just want to play football, and and these are a couple of things that that we need to talk about. And he told some jokes and everything, and and it worked out great. So, so what so what does this actually all mean? I mean, we have no doubt that the league itself is right behind this issue. I mean, a gay player coming out, well, Michael Sam is already out. They're going to be nothing but supportive. I mean, it's the, the, the times have changed, and I, I imagine teams themselves. But what does it mean for? I mean, how does this get down into the locker room and affect the actual attitudes of players themselves? Who we've spoken to, so many who yeah. had not a problem with it. You know, I, th- I think it's just going to depend on. Uh, it's going to depend on the coach. It's going to depend on the general manager what they want to do now. So, you know, talking to John Fox, as Wade told me, you've got to go talk to John Fox because he came up to Wade right, at, right afterward and, and, and really praised him. And, and Fox said, best presentation I've ever seen at the NFL. And he said, he, he's, he, hasn't, he said, I haven't done a good enough job talking to my team about this issue. I need to. And I am going, it's going to be at the top of my list when I get back to talk to all my coaches and all my players about it. So, you know, you have guys like that who, and, and Jeff Fisher and some others who really get it and get the need to really be out front. And I had a, it's funny because I had a conversation with one of the guys from the Dolphins, and and he thought it was just kind of enough to not say anything as long as you weren't saying anything bad, that was good. And I point out to him that the environment in the locker room in sports is assumed to be homophobic. You have to be proactive and positive. And it kind of sunk into him that, wow, we are actually going to have to really do something. And that, that idea that, well, you know, they're just football players. I don't care, so it's not an issue. I heard that from uh, Ken Wisenhunt, who's the coach of the, the Tennessee Titans. And, and when I asked him, you know, what kind of conversations he thinks he'll have with, the, with his team about this issue, he just was like, what do you mean? What conversations would I have? And I pointed out, you know, it's, you know, the homophobia and, and slurs and stuff in the locker room. And, and he's like, we just value football players. I don't care if they're gay. So there are going to be some places where it's going to, where the message probably won't trickle down. But in a lot of cases, I think it will. 
I guess this is the conundrum I'm having with this is, so John Fox goes back, and let's suppose he talks to his team. What does he tell them if there is nobody on the Broncos that at least is publicly known to be gay? Is he, what are you saying? Because right now we don't have anybody in the league who himself is openly gay um, that we're aware of. I mean, what? I, so, like, what's the message you're saying yeah. other than, gee, be tolerant, and everyone will say, yeah, I'll be tolerant, but there's not, a, there's not an actual live person they're sort of discussing. Right. Well, first, if, if anybody wants to call into the show, the number is 347-945-7834. Again, it's 347-945-7834. You can join in the conversation on Wade Davis' presentation to the NFL and gays in the NFL and what the NFL can do to help improve the environment of the teams. I, I think one of Wade's messages was you have gay players in your locker room and you don't know it. And right now, and Wade talked about his experience being gay and how he would be very careful about how he moved and how he spoke and he had this thing in his head that was quote-unquote distracting him and he explained how you can make your team better by allowing this player not necessarily to come out publicly but just to be able to share his life with the coaching staff and the other players on the team so that he didn't feel like he had to tiptoe around people or or be you know for fear of being outed or discovered and that was really it, just for, for coaches and players to go back, and, and for the coaches and general managers to go back to the coaching staff and players and say, you know, we need to just, we need to send proactive messages to the players that if you are gay, it's okay with us. If you want someone to talk to, um, our doors are open. Doesn't have doesn't have to be some big public thing, but if something that you want to talk about, by all means, come talk to us because it's okay with us. And I think that was really ultimately Wade's big message, that you know, making sure that the that the gay players, the closeted gay players, knew that they had a place to to talk and that they had that that they if they came out to the team that they would be accepted. Because I do think that when people talk about the the coming out, it's actually sort of on a continuum. We have we call the publicly coming out. Everybody knows the world, but I do think, and we've heard there are players, there have been players who have been out on their team to certain people. And I've always, when I've talked to athletes, got the sense that for some of them that would be just enough. I mean, Michael Sam had that at Missouri. As long as I'm okay within my family, the team. I don't have a need to go further than that, which is everybody's right. So, and I think, in a sense, if that player felt he had his co- the coaches had his back, if anything were to come up, that in and of itself would be enough, probably for a majority of players, to simply know, hey, if anything happened, I have the support of my organization, at least on this issue. Yeah, I think again that was that was Wade's big message. Just. It doesn't have to be some big coming out. And the press and the press and the public don't even have to know. You know, Wade is a player, and he's about protecting players. And he just doesn't—he just—he doesn't like the big media splash. I don't think, and he just—he thinks it keeps these guys in the closet. And so, you know, just pointing out that it doesn't have to be all of that; that it can just be a family issue. And you know, that the idea of family—I kept hearing the idea of family being repeated by the coaches and, and general men, and even even Goodell mentioned it when I asked him about it at the press conference. He mentioned. You know, the NFL family, and and so it was interesting to hear the Wade's 
framing of the of the issue be repeated by all of these very important people? It does. It is an interesting idea, though, because I think we do need more people to be publicly out because then you can say there are people functioning at this level. But I also see why the players don't want to do it because they don't want to have this media, call it what you will, circus or whatever, because there would be attention for anybody that came out publicly. So, right. so I always wondered what frustrated me as much as anything else. Okay, I can buy that while you're playing, but. Why? Why more guys don't do it once they've retired? I don't. I'm. That, you know that, 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 that I understand during it playing, I could buy it. But when you retired, why you can't say, "Hey, I I played three or four years. It was not a problem. It's doable. I chose not to go public there. I'm just letting you know now." But we don't hear right. that. We hear that from so few people. Yeah, I mean, it's. I, listen, you and I both. I think everybody understands the importance of people coming out publicly. We've made it one of our missions this year to try to tell more and more of these stories. But that I don't think the conversation at the NFL meeting was necessarily about that. It was about yeah. creating a work environment for the athletes that, that was positive. So, well, you know, probably and, what you have to do. That's all they can do. They can just create the environment. They can't force, or nor they should they force someone to come out, even to the team if they don't want to. Um, and I think it, it shows that they are taking this seriously. And the fact that Wade will probably be speaking to several teams individually during the upcoming off season, I think, is a testament to that. Yeah. Yeah, no question. And again, this was just the first step. You know, it's you can't <laughs> go zero to sixty in two weeks. It's got to take some time. And and it was clear that that, that that despite the the overwhelmingly positive reaction to Wade's presentation, that there is still unease about this issue. It's not like this this solved all problems. It was a first mm-hmm. step. And I think as I think some teams will take the next step. Some teams won't. And and you know, um, you know, money money quarterback talked to yet another anonymous source, an AFC, I think he's the general manager, who said that the conversations were overkill. Which I don't understand how two conversations over the course of three days were overkill. But you know, that's that's the perspective that if they have to talk about it once, it's probably overkill for some of these guys. Well, yeah, I think for a lot of them it is. It is, you know, once once is probably enough. Uh, but it, yeah. this is an issue, and it's funny. I, when Jason Collins came out, it came literally out of left field. So I'm wondering if there is some athlete in one of the four big sports that no one's even thinking about that's going to sort of come out, and it's like, huh, we didn't see that coming. Yep. You know, because the NBA yeah. had not done any of this groundwork really like this, and boom, Jason Collins playing pro basketball. Yep. Like, you know, kind of out of the blue. So I'm wondering if, you know, if in the NFL there might be somebody that just – but, you, again, you can't do it quietly. I was – our good friend John Branch, I was telling you that they had a profile of a basketball coach. And in, like, the 20th paragraph, it was whatever, Jones, comma, married with three children, comma. If he was married to a man, that would not be in the 20th paragraph. That would be the story. Yep. Right? Because you, it's not yet normalized and common enough that people kind of just – Oh, by the way, he has a male partner and they have a couple of kids. Yeah. Um, so, well, listen, Jim, well, we have a caller calling in. Oh, great. 
We have somebody calling. I don't know what he wants to talk about, but we'll find out. Uh, <laughs> what's funny? It doesn't say it doesn't say the person's name, but hi, hi, you're on the air. Hi, this is Spencer. Spencer, where hi, are you Spencer, calling where from? Where are you calling from? I'm calling from New York City. Oh boy, Jets oh. or Giants? Ah, got to be the Jets. <laughs> hey, be the yeah. Patriots. You know, actually, with me, it's a little bit different because um, I come. I kind of. This is why I'm calling. I've actually been a rugby player for a dozen years, and I've played with uh, gay rugby clubs, amateur gay rugby clubs in the U.S. and in Europe. And the reason why I wanted to call because you're discussing about like what happens after the big coming out, and rugby's kind of gone through this. Like they're five to ten yeah. years ahead of where the NFL is with homophobia, and they've made much more of an effort. And they went through their big issue when they had Gareth Thomas, of course, come out a few years ago as a pro player. What happens after that is things really do settle down. I think the message that these NFL owners have got to hear is that in the long term, it's always going to be a story, but it's not always going to be the story. They're going to have these guys come out on their teams. It's going to be a little brouhaha. It's going to settle down. It's going to go back to football. It will be the story. It won't be in the 20th paragraph. It will be in the first paragraph but it won't be the headline. And they just need to realize that they're going to go through a little bit of a media storm. They're going to go through this problem, and then it's going to settle down. When I first started playing rugby in a union in California where we were the first gay rugby team, you know, we went through the amateur version of this where the other teams were like, who are these guys? What does this mean to be playing a gay team? Like, what, you know, what's it going to be like? What's it going to be like on the field? What's it going to be like in the, in the drink-up? What's it going to be like <laughs> after we played these teams? It wasn't what's it going to be like. It's what do we have to do to beat them. And that's the story right. that is going to be the second story. It's always going to be interesting to people. We all, of course, like to talk about sex. We like to talk about people's sex lives. We're always going to gossip about the players and who they're with and that kind of thing. But really, if they can just get through this next year or two, have a few high-profile coming out, it's going to be part of their club and what they do and who they are, and they're going to have to deal with it. But it's going to be a lot easier to deal with some of the other stories they have to deal with in the media as NFL team owners. So well, I think you, you, what you know about international rugby, Spencer, are there guys who are out comfortably? I mean, they may not be publicly out, but are you aware of any? There, yeah, of course. I mean, you hear quite a bit about, certainly on the level of the college rugby, there's openly gay guys. Uh, on the level of the high-level amateur, see, rugby is much more, it's very sm small part of the sport is professional. Um, it's much more popular as an amateur sport. So, you know, you, it's a sport you don't stop playing after college. So you meet guys who play on straight teams, gay guys who are openly gay and play on straight teams who are amateurs all the time. On the professional level, you know, the highest level in Europe uh, and in, uh, and in uh, you know, the English-speaking countries in, in the Southern Hemisphere like Australia and, and South Africa, there is still some issues. Uh, but, you know, for example, in Australia, the Wallabies, which are – you know, the equivalent of the New York Yankees meets the Dallas Cowboys in Australia. They're like the biggest sports team in Australia. And they have several straight guys who are, you know, enormously supportive of gay rights. Um, you know, we're having a, the gay uh, rugby world cup, the Bingham cup down there uh, in August and members of the, at the highest level of the national rugby team have really spoken out in support of gay players and players coming out. So it's really the environment of the sport has changed and it's changed in the 12 years that I've been playing rugby, I watched it. When I started playing rugby, it was where the foot, where football is now. And now it's the kind of thing where it's not even an issue. And if a player were to open his mouth in rugby and say something homophobic, the kind of a cultural backlash would be so extreme 
that they just they're going to get, they're going to do it. They're not going to keep, open their mouth. They're going to keep their mouth shut even if they're homophobic, because they know the tide has turned. And really, that's where we're going to be in five or ten years. I don't even know if that's a good thing. I mean, I, I always say if people are homophobic, I actually want them to say it because the the worst thing is that it goes unaddressed and we don't talk about it or we think that things are better than they really are. And so I, you know, I, I'm not sure that that people being frightened into silence is such a good. Of course, it depends on how you frame it, but but well, you know, it, I, I, I kind of wish more athletes would say what's on their mind. I, I do kind of agree, and the problem you have, I think, in the NFL especially, is that this does get up, caught up in people's identity with their religion. So I know that there are a lot of guys who are sitting there thinking, well, I'm a Christian, and now I'm being picked on because I'm a Christian, um, and I can't be homophobic. Um, you know, what I want to do is I want to be able to express my religious beliefs and not be called a homophobe. Well, that's fine. You know, I mean, I think that that's okay that they do that. I think the message there has to be you're free to express your beliefs, but you know what? I'm a gay person. I'm also a Christian. You know, we don't all believe the same. We don't all go to the same church. If that message would get out, I think the people who have reservations about homosexuality based on their religion, they shouldn't be ostracized. They shouldn't be yelled down. But they should be educated to the fact that, yeah, you know, just because you you feel that this is important to you, um, that you don't have to, you know, uh, align yourself with homophobic thought. But yeah, of course, there's always going to be people who, who never personally are accepting, that's fine, but you can't allow them to dominate the culture of the team. And once they dominate the culture of the team and they know they can get away with saying this stuff, then the team is going to get, it's going to become an unwelcoming place for gay players. So, yeah, there's going to be a little bit of uh, guys feeling like, uh, you know, I can't open my mouth and talk about this. Sure, we have the same, we've, we, look, we did this 40 years ago with race, and we know how it goes. It gets to the point where, yeah, there are speech codes. There are people who are policing speech. These guys, they feel like, oh, uh, you know, I can't really express myself. But you know what? There's consequences when you uh, voice an unpopular opinion. And homophobia is going to be an unpopular opinion whether they like it or not. Well, and I think that's the point is they're allowed to say what they want to say. But unlike in the past where they might get away with it, they're now going to have a lot of people coming down on them for saying what they what you know for saying hey listen I don't agree with that there's not going to be that kind of silence over those kind of comments that there were in the past when uh, Sarah Tuolo came out and Sterling Sharp said well if you know he had come out when we played we, he would have been beaten up you know that the guy tries says that now in the NFL about Michael Sam be a lot of trouble well that's a and, and that's right I mean that's 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 <laughs> that that's Again, I said, you know, within depends on the context of, of, of what, how somebody is expressing their homophobia. I mean, saying we're going to go beat somebody up because he's gay, that, 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 that goes a little, a little far. But, Spencer, are you, are you the straight-acting film, Spencer? Yeah, I made a documentary uh, about uh, eight years ago about gay guys who play these kind of what are considered tough guy sports and how this deals, you know, how these guys deal with the idea that, uh, uh, you know, of, of – the cultural stereotypes we have about masculinity, which are kind of crazy um, because some of the toughest guys I've ever met are gay. So, um, you know, I think it's, um, I think it's an important issue. I think that for a lot of these guys in the NFL, it's simply exposure. It's like they haven't met that tough gay guy who can have their back on the field. Once they meet that guy, once they get to know them, I, you know, 99% of the time, the problem is going to go away. Um, no matter whether they feel personally approving or homosexual or not, they're not going to think of it in that context. They're going to think, I know this guy. I know who he is. I know he can catch the ball. You know, that's how, that's how it's going to be in their head. 
And I think that the problem is mostly going to take care of itself. Well, you can meet some other tough gay guys on Scruff, where Spencer is the new, I just got an announcement today, first ever VP of marketing for Scruff. So uh, you can, uh, I'm, sure, I'm sure Spencer will be using big, tough gay guys to market Scruff in, in the coming month. Well, that's not why I called him, but I'm glad you got the press release. <laughs> so, uh, thank you. <laughs> We'll, we'll be right, checking Spencer, well, for that. <laughs> what's your, what's exactly. your handle, Spencer? Rugby guy uh, <laughs> 09? I don't, uh, you know what? I, I, at this point, I think I'm going um, uh, to err on the side of discretion. Let's put it that way. Uh, no, but yeah, you know, I think that um, uh, for, for us at Scruff, just, you know, as an aside, supporting sports is a way of, like, supporting the gay community in a whole new way and, a, and in a whole new field that I think is, you know, for a lot of uh, – increasingly for a number of gay guys – this is a way to connect and feel a sense of community. And we're going to do that through gay sports teams. But I think that when you do it through the amateur gay sports teams on that amateur level, it sends the message up the, up, up the chain. And these guys who are businessmen in the NFL, eventually they, they just may, they're going to see which way the wind's blowing. Yeah. All right. Well, Spencer, thanks for calling in. Appreciate your perspective. And, and good luck with, with, uh, with Scruff. Thanks. I love the show, guys. Thanks. Right, bye. Thanks. Okay. Bye. Spencer, Spencer isn't just the, the VP of marketing. He is also a client. Or I, I'm assuming. <laughs> well, do we have time uh, or are we done? <laughs> no, we can, we can chat a little bit about, about Jeff Gordon. The, yeah, uh, I wanted to bring up uh, another coming out that happened this week. Uh, Jeff Gordon is in a gay relationship with another NASCAR driver. Which of course is totally bogus, but um, it, be, it it was a story that went viral on a spoof website called Empire Sports, and I noticed it when I checked our traffic stats, and noticed we're getting a lot of traffic for a story that we had last July about um, God, I'm zoning on his name, uh, another an actually actually gay NASCAR driver who came out. Last year, oh, and Rhodes? Stephen Rhodes, Stephen Rhodes. Rhodes, and it was like, why is Stephen Rhodes getting all this traffic? And I did a quick search and discovered the story of him having an alleged relationship with Jeff Gordon, and I realized, oh, this is kind of a spoof. But the site, the story had gotten more than a million page views in a day, which for this site was huge, and more than a thousand comments. And what I found fascinating was, when I was reading the comments, a lot of people had fallen for the spoof. But they were accepting of Jeff Gordon being gay, which I found fascinating in kind of a clueless way. <laughs> you know, it was like, who cares what he does in his private life? He's a good racer. And I found that in a weird way kind of encouraging that it wasn't they, you thought NASCAR fans, given the perception, would be ripping them. But half, you know, seemed, a lot of people knew it was a spoof and saying, but most people were like, oh, I don't care. He, you know, and if you have a problem with it, it's your problem. So. In a weird way, it showed a certain level of tolerance I wasn't maybe expecting from the NASCAR crowd. You know, and kind of to tie the, the well, first of all, it, it, it was fascinating to watch this this um, this story kind of unfold and explode. As I'm getting message, we see traffic spike, and I'm getting messages about is Jeff Gordon gay? I'm like, Where is this coming from? And it is the, <laughs> this website that. It's not even somebody – I think you called it a satirical website. It's not even satirical. It is simply fake. Like, Well, yeah, not, you're right. It's just like I call it like the onion of – yeah. It's not even onion. Like it's just it's just fake. Like there's not, there's not much humor behind it. They just post 
fake stories. Well, it's an onion wannabe. It's an onion wannabe is what it is. But the onion, like, there's there's humor, and like, as soon as you see the headlines from Onion, you get there's tongue in cheek. This is just they simply come up with fake stories to get traffic, uh, right? I mean, they, I don't, I don't see. Well, yeah, much. exactly. Well, they had a they had a huge one. Their, their last big huge one was about um, Jason Witten and Tony Romo being gay. So yeah, right. it just totally made up out of, out of out of nothing. But the fact is, all these people believed it, but then they believed it and didn't care. It was like it was just kind of spun my head around. Well, again, tying in the two stories that we were talking about today, talking to a couple of coaches and in, in, in at the NFL meetings, people have gay family members. People know gay people, and even and NASCAR fans. You know, I don't think 10 or 15 years ago that was the case, but today they know gay people. And, and, and so the, the, their attitudes on this are changing fast, even in the South and even in NASCAR world, because people know gay people. And, I, and, and you know, we've said over and over again that the most important piece of our movement is people coming out because nothing changes people's perspectives like that. So I, I think that's why, you know, it's, it's not super surprising to me to, to see positive statements or just you know ho hum statements coming from any sector anymore. Though it's certainly super encouraging to see it coming from the NASCAR crowd because of the stereotype. Well, and we just have to start running more fake stories to get more traffic. It seems that's what does it. <laughs> April first is is around the corner. Is it Mon- Tuesday, Monday? It's so Tuesday, sure we'll... and we, you and I have talked about this in the past, is that we almost can't write those because people would believe them. Like, you know, that's what we do. So if we wrote a fake story about somebody being gay, or it would probably be a thing that most people would believe, and then our credibility would be lost. It's hard to... <laughs> It's hard for well, a gay sports website to write about something like that without half, you know, people saying, "Oh, it's true." It is like we've we've done the uh, Terrell Owens comes out story a couple times on April first, and maybe we could find some. We'll have to find some. Maybe <laughs> Terrell Owens signed by the New England Patriots. Like maybe <laughs> we could do something like that this year. That is obviously clearly untrue, but. We have we have to do something. We have to do some fake story on April first. So, well, now, now everybody does stories on April first. They wind up becoming a cliche because everyone's doing spoofs. So, I guess if you're going to announce bad news that you don't want anyone to believe, announce it on April first, and then no one will believe it. <laughs> what? That's on Tuesday, right? It's Tuesday. Hmm. Well, we got to avoid Tuesday for. <laughs> Yeah, for, stories, for, for us picking up stories, we have to be double careful about what we what we believe on a t- on this Tuesday. Yeah, well, and, that, and plus we've got to be careful about what we run. Like, I don't want to run any big stories that we have. Like, we've got a couple of things coming down the pike, and so I was actually thinking of Tuesday morning for one of them. So that that might be a bad idea. So Tom Brady divorcing his wife and starting to date Michael <laughs> Sam will wait until Wednesday to run that. <laughs> exactly. Well, that's all the time we have for today. Um, Sid is off to Iowa, the heartland. Actually, we'll both be there in the next month uh, for various reasons. And um, I'll be holding down the fort in Los Angeles. So we'll talk to you later. 